You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me as always in Southampton, England, is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm good. You know what I like, Ryan? I like Taco Bell, apparently. Well, I like Taco Bell, but I like that with curling coming back, means controversies are back. And so we've got a lot of controversies to talk about today. Yeah, I missed a lot of this. I was at the beach and then saw that a lot of this happened and then decided that I would catch up later and just make you explain it to me. And then we thought about doing that. And I said, well, why don't you just explain it to me while we're recording and we just save ourselves a lot of time? Yeah, <laughs> I could explain it all to you. It's awesome. Where do you want to start, Ryan? Well, let's start by explaining what it is that we're talking about. So a couple weeks ago, or last week, I think, was the World Curling Federation Congress. Do they still call it the Congress, or what's it called now? The AGM, the Annual General Meeting, I think. All right, and, and what happens at the Annual General Meeting that the WCF holds? So, I mean, the big thing for curling is that's where any changes to the sport have to be voted on. So, um, anything to do with, uh, the rules of the game, anything to do with championship processes, anything to do with admitting members associations, any big policy stuff gets voted on there. And it's basically in the assembly, at least it's one country, one vote. Right. And we kind of figured that there would be a lot of news coming out of this because anything that was done in this Congress would affect what is really the first season of the next quad. And so why why is it important that changes be made at the beginning of a quad? So this is really driven by the International Olympic Committee. So every everyone has a boss. So if the WCF is the world boss of curling, the IOC is the WCF's boss. Uh, and so one thing the IOC really hates is a sport that keeps changing its rules mid Olympic cycle and curling. I don't say, I don't want to say it got in trouble, but the IOC was definitely watching when all the Broomgate stuff happened two cycles ago. Right. Cause if your sports, if there's like a whole bunch of accusations about the sport being fundamentally unfair or competitive balance, Going into an Olympics, the IOC doesn't want to see that on TV. They don't want a bunch of negative press, you know, and you can see what happens to sports when they end up like that. So like figure skating is probably the most infamous of the Winter Olympic sports for basically being taken out behind the woodshed by the IOC and having their sport completely restructured. So curling doesn't want to go there. So what they have done and what they'll continue to do is make the big structural changes in the early part of the quad. So nothing that happened here is going to affect this Olympics. Um, 
but they had to kind of push some rule changes through for the next Olympics. Rule changes that affect both how the game's going to be played and how teams are going to qualify for the world championships. Should we start with the rule changes that were announced? And are, are they rule changes or are they things that they're just going to try out here in the next in the next worlds? Let's let's explain that first. And it sounds like these these changes to the rules are things that they're going to trial at the next worlds, which will take place after the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, this is interesting. So a bit of inside the WCF gossip uh, there. So what happened is, and you should remember this, there's a little bit of a debate pre-pandemic about eight ends versus 10 ends. Mm-hmm. And there were some surveys. One was a fan survey. So basically anyone on social media could have clicked and filled out this survey or through their member association could have submitted a survey. And the I big question, sorry, I think I filled it out. What did you vote for? I voted for eight ends. I think I voted for 10. <laughs> anyway, I actually, of actually of all the things in curling, I actually just don't care. Like I've played everything from four ends to 10 ends and it doesn't matter to me. Maybe they should just go to four. I don't know. Um, it's like a boring topic for me. But what they did is they, they created a committee, as organizations always do when they want to sweep problems under the rug. And they said, go away and figure out how to make curling a better viewer experience. That's what's, what's really driving this is TV, right? And the committee reported back and they actually didn't even address the question of end length. And instead, they proposed three different rules. And I'll talk about those in a sec. But the reason I think they swept that aside is that although a lot of the curlers are in favor of eight ends and some of the fans are in favor of eight ends, TV doesn't like eight ends because that means two fewer ad slots, right? Yep. And ad slots are how TV makes mm-hmm. money. And so what I they never want... thought of that. <laughs> Here's an answer to that, Jonathan. What if we just, what if we made the fourth end break longer? I don't like know. A true halftime. I think, I actually think that if TV is coming back and saying we want to keep it 10 ends, they probably, they probably don't want a long ad break so people tune out. They probably just want to keep it that way. Cause I think I heard in the early days of curling, the appeal of curling was fairly regular ad breaks, right? So it's like baseball where you know where the breaks mm-hmm. are going to be. Unlike continuous play sports where, you know, basketball is a perfect example. Like it's, it's kind of chaotic when the, when the TV timeouts are, right? Curling's got the ad breaks built in. And I, I suspect the TV part of this came back and said, we don't want you to shorten the games because we like that for TV money. So what they did do is say, we want to make the game faster. Well, no, that's the pace. opposite. They said, they said, we want to shorten the games yeah. time-wise, yes. but we don't want to lose the ad breaks. Exactly. So now you're, trying, now you're trying to figure out how to just make 10 ends go by faster. Is that correct? Yes. So there's three rule changes. Two of them are kind of obvious how they speed the game up, right? So the first is thinking time. So they're going to go back to a version of the very controversial thinking time system 
that happened at the Canada Cup a few years ago with uh, 2018. 2018 with the greatest hot mic moment between Ben Hebert and Mark Kennedy. <laughs> we we did a we did a very long episode about this from back in fall fall slash winter of 2018 where we went in depth into into that situation. If you want to go back into our back catalog and check that out, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> That was pretty funny. But anyway, long story short, the players didn't like it because it was a total gong show in terms of, or a sheet show, I guess, if you're Ben Hebert. Which is what we we titled that episode. If you want to go back and find it, it's titled, The New Timing Rules Are a Sheet Show. (laughs) So, um, So basically, it's four minutes per end in the first half of the game, and then four minutes and 15 seconds in the second half of the game. You can't bank time. So each end has a time limit on it. So it's it's a way to force teams to play faster constantly throughout the game. They're hoping to do two things with that is one, the time doesn't roll over. So that's if you have a quick end, you don't get any savings in terms of the gameplay. And then two, uh, it forces it basically forces teams to have fewer conversations and throw faster throughout the game. So a very obvious team that'll be negatively impacted by this rule is Team Kevin Cooey, which banks their ends and then spends 12 minutes in the final end, right? So they're obviously going to be affected by it. Um, that, that'll definitely speed up the game, whether it makes it so fast as to be a penalty is interesting. I personally like it because the consequence of running out of clock isn't so fatal. Right, the consequence is basically the other team gets to throw as many stones as they have left. So, I, whereas in regular curling you lose the game, I, I thought in regular curling you don't automatically lose the game. It's the same thing. You, yeah. the other team just gets to throw, yeah, until the game's over. Yeah, but often when the team runs out of time, it's it's a far kind of bigger issue, right? So. I think I think I actually think they've changed yeah. that kind of in recent years too. But I kind of like this. Like it's a it's a you're bit usually, like you're usually not running out of time when you're winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I like this as a rule because it's like oh the worst like even the cases where it happened like there was a game where Bosher ran out of time in one end in the round robin and it was like it cost them a point but it didn't cost them the game. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I think I think one thing to think about with this is that the penalty is less severe and it's incremental. It'd be a bit like a free throw shot in basketball or a penalty in ice hockey or something, right? It's it's got a consequence, but it's not game over. So I like it personally. I think for the teams, they're going to have to adjust to how they play the game. And I've said this before. Outside of the top level of curling, the timing timing is very uneven there's some very basically it's a volunteer position right now and so i think the wcf is going to have to invest a lot in training up their timekeepers because that's that's a very uneven outcome i'd say and they're also going to have to improve their app because the app is not that great for for these kinds of situations already and that was the one of the problems that they ran into at the 2018 canada cup too right yeah yeah, because it's it's a volunteer post. Now, I think in the top events, it's going to be people who've done it before and kind of worked their way up. But there are issues in clocks all the time, right? And there's there's ways of doing little fixes and the kind of the way traditionally under kind of curl, the current curling clock is you just run clock 
the next end or you kind of delay a bit, right? So you just have a way to kind of fix it that way. I, they're going to have to figure out a better... I think A, the biggest problem is the app. It's not very forgiving if you make a mistake with timing. Yeah, because that's one of the things. Like you can't, you can't add time to it, right? No, no, which is weird because every other like every other sport has timekeeping issues, but in basketball, it's just like reset the clock to this and they move back on, right? Yeah. So they they need something like that just built into the app, which is a, a simple coding fix. Uh, and then, yeah, I think that's that's the big issue is they're gonna have to figure. I think the timing, the timing, and the t- has to be kind of improved. And then the players are gonna have to learn how to play under a clock. But I think that's just an adjustment, not the end of the world. I, I think if we have any software developers that listen to this podcast, they're probably screaming at you right now, saying, "No coding fix is an easy fix." <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird to me. Like the app's fine; you can download it from the WCF webpage, and we've used it in kind of in practice and stuff. But it is it is weird to me that like it's easier for me on my smartphone to <laughs> adjust the clock on a timer than it is on the official app for the World Curling Federation. So I think that's like a Here's here's a question about the the thinking time per end. You know, after the 2018 Canada Cup, you know, a bunch of players were very vocal, calling it a disaster. In fact, even last week in a story by the Winnipeg Free Press's Ted Wyman, you had a bunch of players saying that the timing during that 2018 Canada Cup was a disaster, and that's three years later. Was it a disaster because it didn't work or was it a disaster for the players because it did work? I think that's a great question, right? I think it's like not every team had time clock issues. The the chatty teams <laughs> did, right? So it certainly it certainly favors a certain style of play, right? The, the kinds of teams that have decisive skips that call a quick game. So like Brad Jacobs is a pretty quick skip, right? He doesn't, he doesn't really banter much. I don't think they really had much time clock trouble. Cooey, who's like notoriously slow and uses every second a clock, his team did have issues, right? So yeah, I think teams yeah. are just gonna have to adjust. But this isn't the first like the like the introduction of the shot of the time clocks back in the day was also an issue. The introduction of thinking time changed how people approach things. Like every time they've made these changes, it's is tweaked how the game has changed. I don't think it's that big of an issue. Every pro team can play. Every pro team can play and end no problem in two minutes of clock, of thinking time, right? Like You know that. Like you see it all the time on TV. We're like, this team's got two minutes left. They can play in two minutes. So four minutes per end is generous. It's just they can't... Basically, this is designed to take away the nine-minute end, right? Where the team kind of burns its time out, still has a long conversation and argues about 48 shot options, right? So that's going away. Take us to the next rule. The no tick rule. So this is this has been coming for a long time. So I suspect I suspect this is the one that will stay for sure. Uh, and it's basically the idea is you cannot remove a guard that touches the center line is the way the WCF has kind of phrased it. So you can't even bump it anymore. So the, the idea here is to take away the tick rule, the tick shot, which a lot of teams use for defensive purposes to effectively not quite peel, but remove out of play a center guard. So the thinking here is that it stops teams from playing a defensive strategy. If a team's behind or if they don't have hammer, they can throw up two center guards. So now the new skill is not going to be... Um, not is not going to be ticking, but making sure you're consistently touching center line on your guard shots, which, 
you know, for most of the pro teams, isn't going to be too big of an issue, but it will be interesting if a team kind of just, just misses the center line, the other team can still tick under those circumstances. So it doesn't mean no tick shots, but it means fewer tick shots. Uh, and I think that's like, I'm not the pu- the biggest fan of this rule. Um, I think, I hope it doesn't come down to club play. Cause I actually think it'll be a disaster at club level. Cause there's a lot of unintentional ticks in club play. Whereas there aren't many intentional ticks in club play. So I, I, I almost wonder if we need to start thinking about separating out uh, competitive rules from club rules. Like I think the five rock free guard zone had very little impact at club level in terms of games. But um, I think a no tick rule might create more headaches at club play. It might actually slow down club play. Yeah, I was playing lead for you and you called a tick shot. And this was, I think I had been playing curling for like three years at this point. I'm playing lead for you. You call a tick. And I had to ask you what a tick shot was. <laughs> and all I wanted you to play was the bump tick. It's like, just draw it and throw tight. <laughs> right? Hit the guard. I've said many times that I didn't like the no tick rule because I think that the tick shot is a skill. And if you if you ever miss it, then you're really, really hosed. Uh, but I am more of a fan of at least applying it evenly to the entire game rather than making it like a final end only rule just because I don't like saying, you know, you're ch- we're changing we're changing the rules uh, at the end of the game. Um, yeah, I, I, I never liked that. Uh, and then the next one uh, is probably the one that that really to me came out of nowhere. Yeah, well, it makes sense if you think about it in terms of TV. They don't want extra ends in round robin. So this is the new rule. They don't want an extra end in a round robin. So you basically break the tie by each team throwing a a, a last stone draw. I guess a, well, I'm not sure what it is. A draw to the button tiebreaker. And so it, they use this in the curling World Cup, if you remember. Yep. So the point system there, it's basically each game is worth three points. If you win in regulation, you get three points. If the game is tied after regulation, the winner of the draw to the button gets two points and the loser gets one point. So they are doing the point system for the worlds that's coming up. Yeah. Okay. That I did not see. Okay. So the gossip, the gossip, because I got, I got moles. <laughs> I got spies everywhere, Ryan. So the initial proposal was actually to do it at the 2022 World Juniors. Okay. And a lot of the associations got upset because they thought that they may have already selected their junior teams. There may not have been time to kind of get their programs trained and stuff. So oddly, they decided to just put it at the 2022 Worlds instead. <laughs> now, there's a lot of people like, oh, I think our good friend Kevin Palmer said, would you put your rule changes in the Super Bowl? I'm like, everyone knows the Super Bowl is the Olympics, right? Yeah, the 2022, <laughs> the wor- the worlds that happens after in Olympics, like that is the place to try experimental rules, man, because you're going to have a watered down field. Yeah. You're, you're going to have fewer eyeballs, I think. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of weird, like I was at the 2018 worlds. There was a lot of countries that sent their B team mm-hmm. or that, you know, the teams that qualified for the Olympics didn't didn't even enter their playdowns because of a conflict. The highlight was a drunk John Schuster going on the mic one night and declaring that he was going to beat everyone the next year at the world. So I'm coming back. 
<laughs> so um, basically, you know, which I like, is kind of bringing a little bit of WWE vibe to the event. So he basically, like every, it's, I mean, it's obviously still a world championship and you want to win it if you can, but it's not the world championship. A lot of the teams have are probably already agreed to break up at that point. It's the end of the quad. It's teams basically playing out the cycle. So I actually don't think it's as big a deal. It does speak to the fact that the WCF needs something like the Curling World Cup where they can try out rule mm-hmm. changes. I remember chatting yeah. with someone on the board and I said, why don't you use the World Mixed and the World Seniors as a test place for rules? That kind of strikes me as, you know, it's the, especially the World Mixed, it's, it's a good yeah. level of competitive curler. It's not leading to any Olympic things. There's been a lot of denigrating of those two events, but I actually think that you could use that as a place to try out interesting rules, observe the effects, and kind of collect data that way. So That'd that would be, be my one. For it. Yeah, just the non the non the quote unquote non Olympic path yeah. events. Yeah, and just use that as a test thing. So yeah. I, I'm not I'm not that outraged by the worlds being used. I know other people are, but uh, I think every. Every elite curler on the planet right now only cares about the Olympics um, this this year. So, so why not just have ties? Okay, so I think there's another little conversation. This kind of affects the junior team I coach this week, right? A, a big problem in curling is how do you break ties in a round robin? At the moment, the way it's broken is by the DSC. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like using this point systems better or worse. I think we, I think I actually am curious to see how it affects the field over a couple of competitions. It will affect how teams play the last end, right? Because if you're going to the last end late in the round and you know you need three points versus two, you're going to play a lot more of an aggressive end. I actually wonder if the the opposite is also the case, right? That if you're you know, in the lead in your pool, you may just be playing for the tie and you don't really care about the extra point. You just want that one point in order to to uh, qualify. So I think that might make things a bit interesting at the end of the week. Yeah, it is. And we saw that at the Curling World Cup. I think there was a game where Bruce Mowat knew that he, if he wound up, he, he had to get the maximum number of points available to him in the game to have a chance to stay alive for the playoff or really the one-off championship game for, yeah. for that event in Omaha. So he tried a much more difficult shot to try and win the game in regulation mm. um, and wasn't, wasn't able to do it. And he lost. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting. I, I agree with you. Maybe tie, maybe just bringing in ties in the round robins, another way to do it, make it two points for a win, one for a tie. Here's what's going to be interesting. They're, they're trialing this with the the draw to the button after the game at the 2022 Worlds. The 2022 Men's Worlds is going to be held at the Orleans Arena in Las Vegas. Yeah. Last I checked, that facility doesn't have a dehumidifier system. It so didn't. if you remember when yeah. the Worlds... Four years ago, the ice was trash at that event. Yeah. And so you're dealing with ice conditions that are going to deteriorate very quickly at the ends of games and then suddenly having to throw these draw to the button shots. It's going to be pretty wild, I think. Yeah, I think it'll be wild. Uh, I, I I wouldn't mind the draw to the button if there was more than one shot per team. 
Yeah. Like, so it's a weird problem if your team. So just to get hammer, which isn't, it's worth an, an advantage, obviously, but not worth a point. Each team has to throw two draws to the button. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why you do that now, throwing a third. The only other like wrinkle that I just thought of is why not just take the DSC points from the beginning, the total distance, and add one more at the end. So then you have three draws to the button count for the, the tiebreaker as opposed to two. Oh, good luck trying to explain that to a TV audience. <laughs> or just have That's everyone why. throw a draw and then the total accumulation. And so that brings me to my next point. So we're, we're making all these changes for the high-end competitive curlers. And you mentioned before you were talking about you were worried about the no-tick rule trickling down to club play. It, so a couple, of, a couple of questions on this. One, does the product on TV need to match what club players experience? I don't think so. I think I think club spends too much time trying to mimic that, and I think the separation's just getting too big. But then, how do you have new players and juniors work toward you know going going to a Briar, going to a U.S. National Championship, going to Worlds if you're playing by one set of rules a certain amount of time, and then having to change to another set of rules when you go to like try to play down to get to that level. I mean, I think that's already the case though, right? Like I've never done a draw shot challenge at the club level. You have to do that in any competitive play down event now. Never had clocks at the club level. You have to do that in a competitive event and had to to have done that for 20 plus years. Um, There already are lots of variations, you know, 10 ends versus eight. I don't think it's so radically different. I think that um, competitive teams will obviously seek out the opportunity to play in events that that have those rules included. Now, I don't think it's only play down events. I think tour events need to kind of mimic those rules too. I, I, I would put it a little bit differently. I personally like to see more variation in rules across events. Um, there's a lot of like, Oh, why not use the slams? I, I think the slams aren't owned by the WCF. And so, you know, maybe I, I would like to see the slams do more variation in their rules. Uh, maybe they work, maybe they don't. Like I, I kind of think the match play obviously didn't work, right? That's why they got rid of it as an event. But thinking time, something that's come out of there, five rock rules, something that's come out of there. Maybe we've talked about this on kind of our previous they tried the no tick rule there before. Yeah, they've, they've tried the no tick rule there. I'd, I'd like to just see a bit more. I think that might be one way to, to vary the slams up is maybe one slams the six rock free guard zone slam and another one's, you know, something else, right? Just, just a bit more variation across events with, you know, little rules, kind of like the American league and national league in baseball. And then my second question with all of this is at what point are we complicating the rules to the point that it actually turns off new viewers? But like if people are turning into the, to the Olympics in 2026 and it's their first time watching and we have all of these new rules in place, at what point are we making this game too complicated for people who are um, casual viewers who are picking up the game for the first time at the Olympics? I, I suspect the no tick rule won't be a problem for viewers because what it'll mean is that the the team will just that has hammer will just either draw around or throw up a corner guard they're going to go nowhere near the center guard right and on swinging ice you'd have to intentionally throw the tick to touch the center guard because you're normally clearing that by two three feet on a draw and like no 
no elite lead is is accidentally rubbing the garden to come around on championship ice. So I think I think a non a non curler will never see will never see a tick rule infraction, right? Um, I don't know. I I I think there's other ways to get around the problem. Uh, so one the players hate, but I'm actually not too opposed to is the mixed doubles rule, where if you blank the end, you lose the hammer. Right. So that's in mixed doubles. You never see a blank, right? The team will just take their point and there's not a lot of this strategic playing for two. That, and that would probably, and mixed doubles is very aggressive already. So that might be another way to solve the blank, blank end problem. Right. Yeah. I know that's been discussed as, as well. And yeah, like you said, it's pretty controversial, but I, I don't know with, I mean, teams are going to figure out how to blank. It's just going to happen. Yeah, I, that's why I agree. I don't think like like I don't think the tick shots the problem. I was watching a Stu Sells game. I think it was uh, Mallet playing Jacobs, and it was like the first eight rocks were in play, and then and then there were no rocks in play three stones later. Right, so it's not just the tick rock that's leading to blanks. It's the fact that mid rank teams can throw triples easily that's also leading to blanks. Right, so I don't think. I don't think the tick rule is going to stop blanking as much as people think it is. I mean, I think the 2022 Worlds is the the right place to try this. Uh, I'm I'm not mad at them trying it, and I'm interested to see what the results are or and how many of these actually stick. Yeah. Now the other let's talk about the other really big change because and this is this is something that really impacts world curling. So the World Curling Federation created a new championship at the Assembly 2 called the Pan Continental Curling Championship. So right now there's basically up until this year there's basically been three zones, right? So there's been the Asia Pacific zone, the Americas zone, and the European zone. And the Pacific Asia and the Eurozone basically both have championships and the top X number of teams from each championship advance to the Worlds. The Americas zone is basically the whichever country finished second and isn't hosting in the Americas, Canada, the US, between those two, would, could then be challenged by a team from that came out of the Americas challenge, right? So the the classic one was at the Continental Cup a few years ago where Brazil won the America's Challenge and they got the right to be smoked by Glenn Howard a couple of times, right? Well, no, they they challenged the reason. So Canada yeah. was in the America's Challenge on the men's side, yeah. I think, for the first time ever because the U.S. was hosting. Yeah. So because the U.S. was hosting, they automatically got into the 2018 Men's Worlds and yeah. Brazil challenged Canada and so they had to hold an America's Challenge. Canada had Glenn Howard represent them, and that's there's a backstory on that that the guys at Game of Stones covered very well. Um, <laughs> but Glenn Howard had to play against Brazil, and they wound up doing it what at the Continental Cup. At the Continental Cup, yeah. And the first game went about as well as you expect. I think the second game was a bit closer, but. Uh... Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the America's Challenge is whoever finished second between the U.S. and Canada 
can be ch- can be challenged by anyone else in the Americas zone. Like the other uh, a couple of years ago, the Americas Challenge had I think three or four teams in it because you had multiple teams that that yes. challenged the U.S. Yeah, and so the U.S. has been playing these for years, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember the Correct. U.S. would schedule them in Bemidji <laughs> at a very cold time of year, and uh, you know they would do whatever they could to get their advantage. So what's happened now is there's going to basically be two play in tournaments into the worlds, if you will. The Europeans is going to stay fairly similar. Mm-hmm. And this new pan continental is going to combine all the Americas countries and the Asia Pacific countries into a new kind of championship. This also means, so there was this other qualifying tournament that was very unpopular called the world qualification event. And um, so that's going to be gone. <clears throat> Right. So there's a couple of reasons why it was unpopular, but the, the big one was the first year they ran it because there were no Olympic qualification points, a whole bunch of countries, including say the Czech Republic basically said, we don't want to do that because we're not earning points and it's too expensive for us to add another tournament to our cycle. Right. So this cuts the number of events down to basically two kind of regional qualification tournaments that'll be held in the autumn. And then out of that, the teams will then be qualified for the uh, world championship. The Worlds is going to stay at 13 teams. And then coming out of the Euros, so the, this new this new Pan-Continental Championship is going to have eight men's and eight women's teams, mm-hmm. just like the, I think the Euros is going to stay at 10. Yep. But And then the first edition, the top will have the top five Pacific Asia zone members and the top three America zone members mm-hmm. and the lowest ranked team in each of those pools will then be relegated to the B pool. And then the winner of the B pool will then get promotion to the A pool. So it's very similar to the Euro system of promotion between A and B. Uh, okay. And then, so there's be 13 teams. <clears throat> the America zone is going to qualify five teams mm-hmm. while the Euros is still guaranteed seven, seven teams. And then the 13th team will be determined by the aggregate performance of the top five teams, the previous year's world championship. So whichever zone does better, the 13th team, the 13th spot will then go to either the Euros or the America zone for the next year. Okay. So that's a lot. Yeah. Do we want to start with why I like this or why I hate this? I say let's start with why we like it because we're okay. a positive podcast. Okay. Uh, I like it because this event becomes more interesting and it becomes a an additional event that you could get on television here in the United States. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you had to search for a stream that was not going to be full television quality not even at the not even at the same quality that we see from uh the 12th in sports network when they do their amazing uh broadcasts of u.s nationals like you were hoping for you know one camera at the end of each sheet for these america's challenge games um if they were being shown at all this becomes a potential tv event that you could see um see on tv here in the u.s so that that part I like, yeah. Uh, against quality opposition, because you'll have Canada there, um, even though fifty percent of the time Canada won't have to do well to qualify for the Worlds at this event. So I'm wondering how seriously they'll take it, and I honestly don't see them 
taking it seriously at all to be because um, they're 50 percent of the time they're not going to have to uh, i am interested to see how canada will decide who goes to this tournament and then so that's that's the good thing is it's a it's an additional tv product for the united states and it's going to be a, a much more interesting competition like right now you know you have the big three in the pacific asia curling championships of china japan and korea and you pretty much know going in um who the top three are going to be and then the two most interesting games all week are the semifinal, where uh two of those three teams play each other and then the final mm. um but it makes it makes that event more interesting yeah i i agree so i like it uh for the reasons you said I also think for the developing curling nations, this is actually a big plus. I I know some don't see it that way. Some may say, oh, they want to play the Canadas and whatever. Mm -hmm. Harold Woods was very honest about that when we talked to him. uh, When we did our show on curling in Nigeria, he said, no, he wants to play the best of the best. And he feels like, you know, iron sharpens iron. He wants to go out there. And even though the scores right now, reflect that Nigeria probably has a ways to go to catch up to, you know, the, the top three teams in the Pacific Asia zone. Um, he feels that the only way that they can get to that level is to play those teams consistently. And by being in automatically being in the a pool of the Pacific Asia championships, like they, that's how they know they can get that elite competition. And really that's the only way for them right now. It's not like, Team Nigeria gets to enter a slam. Yeah. If they wanted to. Yeah. I I mean so I'll I'll, I'll make the counter case for why it's good to have a B pool. I think it lets countries develop in a pool of equal competition. While I think mm-hmm. that maybe it's good to once or twice play the Nicodines of the world. <laughs> Someone who's played the Nicodines once or twice. It doesn't, I haven't played Nicodemus, but I played that level once or twice. It doesn't have the benefits you necessarily assume until your team's kind of close to that level, if you think about it. Because to be honest, a pro team, when they play, if they're playing in a serious game for something like that, they're going to go max aggressive the first couple of ends to force the big miss and the big end. And then it's just up and down. Like, like you know, you will see nothing from Nicodemus if he's up 5 nothing against team Nigeria or whatever the, mm-hmm. the matchup is. Right. And that's not, that's not that effective at developing a team. I think there's real value in playing in a pool that's at your level and you have a chance to advance out of it. And then when you're ready to gain promotion, your team or your country can do that and getting out of the B pool is a big accomplishment. And then that can also has like a story for kind of how your country's getting better over time. And maybe your country becomes a bubble team that bounces back and forth between BNA and then eventually become a regular country in the A pool, right? And we can we can see some recent curling powers kind of, you know, a country like Russia was kind of not really much a decade ago, right? They'd kind of bounce back and forth in the Euros, but now they're kind of a constant medal favorite. Or a country like Czechia, right? Like they they're basically now a solid A team. But for a long time, they would bounce back and forth between B and A, right? And they've now qualified for their first Olympics in mixed doubles. So having a pool where you can compete, build your competitive program, have an attainable goal, which is winning promotion as kind of a first step, I think really does help a lot of the emerging curling countries. Okay, so now we can go negative. So now what don't you like? 
first and foremost, I don't like that there is now no longer a path where any t- any country could conceivably make the worlds in any given year. And we have heard, and I, you have said before on this show, that it's really important for a lot of these countries when they're going after funding from their national governing bodies um, that they need to be able to show, look, we do have a path to get to Worlds. It's conceivable that we could be playing at the World Championships this year. And now that is not the case for a vast majority of the member associations of the World Curling Federation. Yeah, I, I think there's a very easy fix for that. And hopefully the WCF will think about that. So in the Euros, so before they brought in the world qualification event, in the old Euro system, the winner of the B pool could challenge the lowest ranked qualified team in the A pool. So the team that finished in seventh place, and they would have a best of three series while the, the, the medal round games were going on. And the winner of that would get the last spot. And so I think that's the way you do it. Let the B team challenge the lowest ranked a qualifier while the medal games are going on best of three and you're you're done. Right. And so you still have a shot every single year. Every country can qualify for worlds. It doesn't lengthen the event. It's a really simple solution. So I hope the WCF adds that. Because right now you have eight teams in the a pool at the, at the PCCC, which I think is what we're going to wind up calling this thing. And the, and then you have 10 teams at the Euros. So you have 18 teams that you were whittling down to 13. Yeah. And to me, it's like, what, what's the point? Just make, just make worlds 14 teams or 16 teams and go to world A, world B. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think that's, that's the other solution, I think. I suspect, again, it has something to do with TV, <laughs> that the Euros actually has a TV contract. So while it may not be big in North America, it actually is the, the biggest curling mm-hmm. event in, on Eurosport in Europe. And so I don't know how much money WCF gets out of that, but it's got to be something. So it'd be a bit like, oh, let's just get rid of the briar and, you know, <laughs> pick the winner of the slam and send them. The, the big issue is curling Canada doesn't want to lose that TV revenue. I suspect it's the same for, for WCF too. So do you think this is going to become an event? a TV event in Canada? In Canada? Um, I bet that TSN shows the metal round games and does, uh, and does streaming only for the round Robin. How soon before Canada misses out on qualification out of the PCCC? Cause that's the thing is like, they, they have to be bad in a year that they're not hosting. Yeah. So like, I think it'll be, um, and five teams qualify. So how long? How long before a team? How long before they finish sixth in this field in a year yeah. that they aren't hosting? Yeah. As much as I love all of our friends from Mexico <laughs> curling and Brazil curling that we've had on this show, as much as I love our friend Harold Woods, and as much as I love our friends in Australia and New Zealand, I will be dead in the cold, cold ground for a long time when Canada doesn't qualify out of this event. All right. what In a year that they're not hosting. All right. So what country... All right. So what countries do you think are a lock out of the... The PC, the PCCC, let's call it. The US, Canada, China, Japan, Korea. So five. Yeah. 
And so there's no way a sixth team could sneak in. Not for a long time. Well, and by long, I mean, not, not for ago. another. No, not for not, no. I would I would say ten years before yeah. before another team starts threatening yeah. that. You give them yeah. ten years, and that yeah, give them ten years, and that event becomes competitive. Especially like New Zealand's got some really good men's juniors right now. That team's going to be good in five to ten years. Yeah, there's teams like that and countries like that that if a country throws resources at it, yeah. um, right. And like Brazil, Brazil sending a junior team to the World Junior Bs for the first time this year. They have a curling facility in Brazil now. Give them, give them twenty years. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's interesting for the future of curling. I I agree with you. I think my preferred thing would just be a World A and a World B, and I'd like a bigger World A. Uh, just basically sixteen teams, two pools of eight. Yep. Let's play, and the bottom yep. two or three get relegated. Right. But I, I, this is, I'll put it this way. This is better than what it was last cycle. Cause honestly, that world qualification event was a mess. It's too long and hard to qualify teams for worlds out of that. Too so expensive. Too expensive. This simplifies things. This, this also clears up the WCF calendar too. Fewer events for them to run. Yep. Um, uh, it's, it's a great idea. They, they just need to tweak it to, and they'll make it perfect. Yeah. One more footnote that comes out of the World Curling Federation event is that the Polish <laughs> it's a <heck> footnote. <laughs> it's a pretty big one. Is the Polish Curling Federation right? Mm-hmm. All right. So explain to me what ex- explain to me what this means because they didn't say expelled. They they for those of you that may not have been following the story. The Polish Curling Federation. Uh, we did an entire episode about it. They've, they've done some questionable things, and so they've been suspended. They avoided being expelled at the World Curling Federation Congress last year. This year, they voted to exclude them. So, what, what are we? What are we talking about here? What have they done? I, it is the shortest <laughs> statement. From the so it's basically a two sentence news release title: Polish Curling Association excluded as World Curling Federation member association at the World Curling Annual General Assembly on Saturday, the eleventh of September. The Polish Curling Association were excluded as a member association of the WCF. This follows their official suspension. I don't know. I suspect it's legalese. Is oh, they're trying. Idea. They're oh, they're trying extremely hard not to get sued here. Basically, I that's what I strongly suspect. <laughs> but I think it's basically a signal that basically, I think first of all, go back and listen to our Poland podcast if you want to know in depth what we're talking about because the story is actually really sad. Mm-hmm. And the problem is there isn't an easy remedy for expelling a country once they've been admitted to the federation to the world curling federation and if the leadership of the federation is problematic right and that that episode that we had kind of details all the issues there um it's very basically the preferred solution by most polish curlers if you just kind of follow follow them on social media is that this federation goes away and the polish curlers can set up a more democratic and well-run association that's their kind of basic point right and the wcf would like to, i think to recognize that one but they can't say that until this has all been resolved yeah so 
I'm sure there are a couple more steps that have to happen for there to be new leadership in Polish curling that is tied to the WCF. And then we can get Poland represented at all of the tournaments again, because right now it's really sad because there's a lot of good Polish curlers and they deserve a chance to represent their country. And the, the fact that we're letting politics and potential uh, legal action keep the, keep them from representing their country and potentially uh, qualify for a world championships is, is sad. And, you know, a, athletes unless you're Tom Brady can only be so good for so long and we're we're wasting a lot of really good years that a lot of good curlers have unless you're Tom Brady or Glenn Howard uh you 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 only have so many good years left in the tank or in in my case none <laughs> yes and that Ryan is a great segue to our next item so uh, do people know Mike Fournier, who's got, I think, a very popular curling blog, and he's played as Skip for Quebec twice at the Briar. So hopefully fans of the show know him. He just announced on social media that he's retiring. So uh, that makes me feel old. <laughs> Cause, uh, so one of, the, one of the funny things is like age plays tricks on you. So when I was a junior, Mike was this like hot, young, up and coming guy uh, on the men's circuit in Montreal. And then it turns out he's only three years older than me. So uh, Mike has decided to step back from the game and should go read his post. Um, and I think it's kind of an interesting moment because I think one of the niches Mike really staked out, at least in his social media pre- uh, thing, is kind of defending what I'd call the old school game, right? Which is the old play down system. And he kind of talks about that a little bit in his post that when he first started out, there were 80 teams in Montreal playing down for four spots to get to the provincials. And you don't see that anymore. And he was very much kind of a, a voice for the grinded out non-slam tour teams. Right. So there's a, I, I feel like like his retirement kind of speaks for an end of that kind of an era. Right. First of all. And secondly, it's made me wonder, are we going to see a wave of kind of competitive curlers retiring after this quad? Now that you and Mike Fournier have announced your retirements. Uh, I think absolutely yes. And you're going to see it for a variety of reasons. Um, I mean, we saw it with Elena Stern retiring from, from competitive curling. We've seen it with, uh, we saw it with Mary Faye, the junior champion out of Canada who decided that she'd rather focus on her studies than be a competitive curler. I mean, what a concept having priorities, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think you'll see, some surprising steps back from curling after this quad. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I think that we underestimate how much a quad takes, takes it out of some of these people mentally. Yeah. And just really chasing this dream that only four people can, can reach out of all of the number of Canadian teams that are out there. So yeah, I think you'll see, I think you'll see some surprising uh, retirements after um, and as teams start to get knocked out from being eligible to represent Canada at the Olympics, which I mean, and you'll start seeing that here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, we, we always know that every quad leads to uh, a big shakeup. 
my 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 money is on Glenn Howard not retiring. So. Oh, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. And I <laughs> he's going to he go at old seventy. But I mean that that's that is the old school way, right? Is that basically like guys like Ed Wernick, They didn't retire. They just they just couldn't get to the briar anymore. But they were still <laughs> on the circuit drinking and playing, right? They they just kind of faded away. Or like I was playing in the last chance. Uh, God, it's gonna be a decade ago up in, in Minnesota. And I remember like right before right before my game, Al Hackner, who at that point in time had to be late fifties, was like still out there playing with a competitive men's team, playing in a men's spiel, right? He was still on tour. Al, Al Hackner dang near beat Jacobs to represent Northern Ontario at the Briar like two two, three years ago. I think it was a little bit more than that, but yeah. No, it was it was this quad. It was this quad. <laughs> but it's like like so, the old school is just you just curl competitively until you die, basically, or your knees give out, right? And so, I think Glenn Howard's like the last of that tradition. I think uh, it was great to see Wayne Madaw just come back out, destroy everyone, and then go back, go back to the bar and drink a Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I like that, but I I think you're right. The demands are so much, and I think oddly, the money's not there unless you're like the top of the top by which I mean you, unless you've won an Olympic medal, which probably at that point, or maybe in Canada, one, one, a Scotties or a Briar still, uh, unless you're like that level, you probably aren't getting enough money to come in to make it a job. Right. I, th- I think this quad is where you really see, you'll really start to see the, the divide where not that there is, a huge, I mean, we've known for a while there's a huge divide between the elites and that that next level. I think this is, I think this is where you're going to start seeing a lot of those people that are at that next level just just stop trying, which is sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me or just um, I don't know. I I kind of think there needs to be something. I've banged on this for a while, but I think there needs to be something else for yep. people outside the top yep. thirty to shoot for. But that's another conversation for another day. Other things, two more odds and ends. So curling net in America, I can't see it, Ryan, because it's I'm stuck in Europe and we're <laughs> geo locked. So tell me what you thought. Have you seen it? Uh, no, I I so the the first one we are recording this at. 4 p.m. on Monday, September 20th. The first episode was last night. It started at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC Sports Network here in the U.S. And I had driven an RV from Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, to my home in Richmond, Virginia, uh, all day yesterday. Uh, That game between John Schuster and uh, team Denmark started at 10 p.m. and I was asleep at 10:05 p.m. Uh, last night. So the five minutes I saw was great. Um, so this year for Curling Night in America, you've got Team USA, uh, but then you also have teams from Denmark, Germany, and Canada uh, representing both men, women, and mixed doubles. I think it's great to see Canada there. I think this is probably the best field that I think they've ever had for curling night in America. So that's awesome to see. Hopefully they continue to, to grow this product and next year, see uh, even more great teams. And hopefully next year we can see the teams from, from Asia back in there as well. When hopefully we're, we're allowed to, to do a lot more traveling. 
it's great to see that uh, that they were able to make those improvements to the to the field, even given all the difficulties with COVID nineteen. Yep. So Canada is in there. Brendan Botcher playing doubles with his now wife, which is kind yeah. of fun to see. Yeah. And then um, I saw a social media post. So they're saying, oh, Team Canada's playing. Jay- Jen Jones is playing. But then I saw the post on Instagram and it was actually Caitlin Laws, Selena Nejavan, um, Jocelyn Peterman, and Lisa Weagle. Yeah. Jen wasn't able to go. Yeah. But I was, I just saw that lineup. I was like, huh. All right. This is, again, baseless speculation. But I was like, that would be a really good team for the next quad. So, well, I mean, I always assumed that if Jennifer Jones ever retires, that it would be Caitlin's team. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason for Jen Jones to retire right now, though. They're, they're, they're still pretty good. But they're still if she pretty ever decided good. she didn't want to play, then yeah. I just assumed that Caitlin would become the skip of that team. Yeah, so I think the question is what happens with the 40-something skips like the Cooleys, the Joneses, the Brad Gushus, right? Do they... And it the depends Mike on what each of them want to do. Depends on what they want to do and if they think there's there's value in another round, so... Yep. Here's, all right, so here's... God, we're way over time, um, and this could be like its own episode. Here's my thing on Jen. is like, if you ask 100 different people their impression of Jennifer Jones, then based off of which events they've seen her or how they've seen her or how they perceive her throughout her entire storied curling career, you're probably going to get a hundred different answers because you're, you're probably going to get a segment of people who say, oh yeah, I've watched Jen Jones her entire career. She she looks like she definitely wants to go into coaching. Or yeah, I've watched Jen Jones her entire career. I think that she definitely wants to get into TV after she's done. You'll get people who will say, oh yeah, I've watched Jen Jones her entire career. I think that she's going to play until she's 60 and be like Colleen still uh, playing down uh, for the Scotties as well as skipping a senior team. Hmm. And I think you'll see, you'll have people who say, oh yeah, you know, I've watched Jen Jones her entire career and I'm sure that she's just going to retire and just go home to, to be with the kids after this year. So I don't think we have any idea what Jen is actually going to do yeah if she wanted to play until she's 60 she definitely could yeah and i think that she honestly all of those things i just listed i think she'd be great at all of them yeah i think she's one of those people who just is good at whatever they decide to do uh so i don't know i I mean it's just curious i think that's that's the kind of it's It'll be curious to see what starts to happen after the Canadian Olympic trials with the teams that don't qualify for Beijing. And I'll be curious to see basically post-Beijing what happens globally. I, I'm expecting a lot of shake up this quad, I think. Oh, yeah. Maybe even even more so than, than previously. There's always huge shakeups after after an Olympics. And I think that it's going to be, I, I honestly just think it's going to be kind of tenfold this year. Cause that was kind of asked on Twitter the other day. Um, it was, at, I think it was asked of uh, the two girls in the game who we thought were, would be the teams that would split uh, after this quad. And my answer was it would take a lot less time if we just named the teams that we thought were going to be completely intact at the end of this quad. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'd be, I think there'll be, yeah, I I think no teams will be completely intact after this quad. 
if, like, possible exception being the teams that win the gold medals in Beijing, there's money in doing a, a kind of yeah, okay. another quad just off that brand, right? So that makes and, sense. And Team Glenn Howard. And Team Glenn Howard, yes. <laughs> Glenn Howard's going to play with his grandkids. <laughs> it's going to be Glenn, Scott, and two grandkids on the front end. <laughs> Playing 20, in, the in the 2050 Briar. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm going if that happens, when that happens. With Wayne Madoc coaching. <laughs> As the the seeds are in hand. <laughs> yeah. All right, last thing. I don't understand what's going on. It's the pre-pre-trials and other trials. I'm basically look, confused. Look, man, just just go to curlinggeek.com. He's got it all. He's got it's it's in graphical, it's in graphic format. It's perfect. It explains it great. Just go to curlinggeek.com and you'll see how this thing is going to work. Eventually, we'll whittle it down and we'll decide who's going to represent Canada at the Olympics. But so this, be, the first event starts the 22nd, so Wednesday. And this and is actually, the, And it's actually two events. Yeah, <laughs> so it's the men's and women's, right? Well, no, it's two, it's two events for both. You have, yeah, like, a, just go to curlinggeek.com. It explains it all there. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Yeah. So there's two excellent. Then they have a pre-trials. Then they yep. have the trials. Yep. So anyway, and it's supposed to be streamed, right? And it'll be on your streaming guide. If I have time, man. <sighs> How am I supposed to find the YouTubes without you, Ryan? <laughs> I'll try, man. I've got a lot going on. I've got Virginia Tech football ruining my life. I've got a lot of things going on, man. All right. I got to deal with watching our coaching staff just completely ruin my Saturdays. <sighs> my goal is to get my son to not like sports. Oh, he's, he's exposed to it a lot, so he probably will. I'll say, all right. We're, we are incredibly out of time, but I will say this. Uh, Virginia Tech had a spectacularly stupid play call at the end of its most recent defeat. And after seeing my reaction to this spectacularly stupid play call, my son just starts laughing at me and goes, ha 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 ha, silly daddy, which that was the ultimate indignity, not losing to a much, much hated rival because we did something dumb. That was the ultimate indignity of, of that Saturday. So, yeah. <laughs> Being laughed good at stuff. by your son. That's good. Being laughed at by a two-year-old. Yeah. All right. Yep. Let's wrap up there, man. That's a good way to end it. <laughs> no, I'm mad again. I'm, I'm mad again. You've made me mad again. <laughs> I thought I was done being mad, and now I'm mad again two days later. Thanks, Jonathan. This is great. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.